This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the API to every marketing and analytics platform. With MParticle, you don't need a lot of SDKs bloating your app. I don't even know what that means. It's purpose-built to help brands solve modern data challenges, and MParticle's customer list is a who's who of brands such as Airbnb, Spotify, Hulu, Postmates, and Venmo. Visit mparticle.com slash decode and learn how mparticle can help your business simplify its app and accelerate growth. This podcast is also sponsored by GoCD, an on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server by ThoughtWorks. GoCD gives you complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash recode for a free download. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person trying to make sure Peter Thiel stays in New Zealand, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair, I'm delighted to welcome Sue Decker and Michael Deering. Sue is the former CFO and president of Yahoo and co-founder of Rafter. She also spent nearly 10 years on the board of Intel and currently sits on several other boards, including Vox Media, which owns Recode, but I don't care. And Michael <laughs> is the former, he's a former eBay executive and founder of Harrison Metal Capital, a venture capital firm that has invested in companies like AdMob, Birchbox, and Sue's company, Rafter. And I have called him the one VC in Silicon Valley. You don't know who he is, but he's the most successful. So I'm excited to have him here because he's super smart about these issues. Sue and Michael, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks, Thanks for the Kara. invitation. Thank you. So we're talking content today. I want to talk about content and what you're doing. And so why don't we first like give a little background, like what you've been doing since you left Yahoo and what you've been investing in lately. And then we'll talk about where Rafter's going and why. The reason I want to talk about it is because content has become sort of a very interesting topic right now with Facebook and, and others and how content is delivered and, and changed and everything. And so it's a great topic for discussion. But talk a little bit about what you've been doing since you left Yahoo, essentially, first. Sure. sure. Well, for a few years, I uh, spent most of my time raising a lot of teenagers uh-huh. and uh, continued to time. be on boards. But mm-hmm. um, over time, I started getting invited to be in advisory positions for smaller companies, which mm-hmm. is not something I had had a lot of experience with and, and mm-hmm. prior to that. And it was uh, in that experience that I ended up meeting my co-founder and the CTO, uh, another uh, different sort of media opportunity in LA that we advised for. But it, and one of the really great things about not being in a situation like that's 24 by 7 leading a large mm-hmm. uh, complex company is uh, there's much more time to play with products and to think about where the world's going. So I think it, it was a, a, a nice pause for me to uh, have a little bit more time to engage in, in thinking about where the content world was going. My years on Wall Street were all about studying content companies and mm-hmm. the underlying stocks of, of newspapers, publishers, cable. Uh, People forget you were a financial analyst on Wall Street. <laughs> I don't, but so, I remember. So I mean, there's a, I've had a long history with uh, of loving the economics of content-related right. businesses, and it was fun to sort of re-engage in that and then come across this opportunity. And obviously content has been, it was enormous at Yahoo, Was had been a big deal at Yahoo. It still remains a big deal at Yahoo, even though they're in more distress than ever. It does, and I think that's um, one of the the things that is unfortunate about what happened is that when you think about what makes any of the other companies in this broader space successful, it's easy to identify that one one thing, whether it's search for Google or 
social for Facebook or transactions for Amazon, and yet all those companies do other things. Uh, but Yahoo sort of lost that uh, sense of identity, and mm-hmm. yet the thing it was the best at is the delivery of content, news, sports, finance. Never really was able to go deeper in that and develop a social and mobile experience. And right. that's part of where my sort of the the impetus to, to bring something to market that could do that. All know. right, and Michael, you have been you've been in commerce. You've been in a lot of commerce things. Yeah, that's where I got started in yeah. Silicon Valley. Was right. at eBay, and of course, when I started the investing business, it was mostly consumer and commerce. Over time, it's migrated down to about a third of what I do. The other two-thirds being business software and services and developer tools. Right. So this is a shift, right, or not? Or do you, I mean, because content hasn't been something you've been much invested in. Well, you know, when I started in consumer investing, I skewed heavy e-commerce because that's what I know and where I came from. But what I started to see was a lot of similarities between um, the e-commerce models that were commanding a lot of people's attention and entertainment. Right. products, games, right. uh, ad-supported information businesses. Right. And that took me in a whole different zone in the consumer world. And so it's, it's funny, I started out in e-commerce, but most of the money we've ever made as investors has come from content and ad-supported. Uh, Give me an example cons- of that. Well, it, the ad tech stuff that I've done has right. been primarily uh, those businesses thrived, AdMob and then Mopub and then a company I'm working with now called Liftoff. Uh, they thrive when they make content publishers successful, right? right? They are the economic engine for those folks. And so that is sort of kind of the the glue that binds the consumer experience, which is revolutionized in the last 10 years, like nobody could have anticipated, that binds the consumer experience and the economics of an ad-based model. Mm-hmm. All right, so content. Talk a little bit about where it is right now, What you how you look at it, because there's, there's obviously regular publishers who have their websites and mobile apps, like the New York Times and things like that. And and others. And then there's Facebook, which has become a distributor, although I, I argue it's a media company. Then there's been, you could argue that Pinterest, which I just was visiting, is a content company because it entertains and it also sells and stuff like that. How do you look at the content business now? Because it used to be, you know, the Yahoo portal. You went there, you went to Yahoo News, you went to stuff. Obviously, it's become mobile and social. So how do you look at it as you start to, and then I want you guys to explain this company because it's complicated. It's complicated when, when it's on paper. So... Explain where you think we are right now. Sure. Well, we can tag team on this. Right. I, mean, I, I think the the clear evolution in the last five to seven years is that uh, more and more people are receiving their news and information content from a social setting. Mm-hmm. So I think Pew Research and other studies show something like 70 or 80 percent of content is coming from there as opposed to people going to a publisher mm-hmm. to receive it. There's still a lot coming from uh, an open search as well, but those are the two kind like of... Like a Google search, yeah. but not as much, for sure. But those are the two remote controls to get digital content now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's some question about whether that's the optimal experience for consumption of content. It's definitely a terrific experience for distribution of content. When you think about tweet and retweet, it immediately getting out there in atomized pieces, uh, breaking news. It's, there's how, there's not really nothing better. Mm-hmm. But it, what I think may evolve over time is that uh, there will become more curated ways to receive content because just in, in by virtue of the very success of distribution on social networks, 
the networks have become increasingly noisy and less curated. And so I right. think that over time there will no, be... No, it's like all the library books thrown on a floor, right? I mean, yeah. Michael, it's Well, it's really not just thrown on the floor, but fired at you with a cannon right. in your face all the time. And right. <laughs> I love what you said about uh, the atomization. I think that's totally right. And right. it's something we saw in creation starting a long time ago, right? The idea that individuals, practically anybody, could create practically any kind of information content. But I think what's changed is that the distribution pipes... The owners of the distribution pipes, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or whomever, they actually see themselves as pipes. They do. They actually don't. Well, no, they hide behind that when there's trouble and they're like, we're a platform. I think platform is the word they use. But I think what it's become is uh, I feel like the I think I follow like 800 people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. That's like 800 megaphones. Mm -hmm. That's not 800 conversations. And so what I miss about the interaction with people around ideas and quite honestly, why I follow so few people as I do is I'd actually like to talk back. I'd mm-hmm. like to have an in- engaging interaction. I think that's what's been what's been, been uh, sacrificed. Right. In the last well, which couple used years. to be what newspapers were, or what they, or that or was sort of one way. discussion boards threaded in the early dis- days, right? Yeah, I mean, some right. of the most vibrant conversations I ever saw at eBay were in those threaded discussion boards. Ditto and Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Except today, the idea they of, degenerated into they degenerated. That's right. And right. so today, the idea of feedback or comments is is trolling. Yeah, we took them off our site because we just couldn't deal with them it was yeah. just you know there was one good one for every 10 horrible ones and right. it was exhausting right and cruel uh, you know it just wasn't it wasn't content i don't know what it was it was yeah. just cre- people screaming at each other essentially yeah. so the only issue is this is the way people have learned to behave like roll through their twitter thing or they go through their facebook thing and then they get little bits and pieces of things it doesn't have a cogent experience with whatsoever so explain what you're doing at Rafter, because there's been a lot of attempts to do this. Like I've seen one after then. There's Nuzzle. There's um, the one that Circa. There was. There's just a ton of these. I just see them all the time, and for some reason they do not catch on. So explain as easily as you can what Rafter is, because I, I I get it, but try to. It's better to explain it person to person. Like we, we had, we're on the phone the other day. Once you explain it, I'm like, oh, I see. But you can't be doing that. You can't be calling everybody like you call yeah. me and explain it. <laughs> well, you could, I guess. The marketing property. Yeah, well, now the, the, with your great distribution. Yeah, here, right. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the idea is, back to this, I'll, I'll go back to an analogy that uh, over time, I think, in any industry, use cases start to segment uh, based on different ways people like to consume the content. So for sure. example, in the world of our personal content that we post on Facebook or Instagram, you know, that world has really segmented in the last year or two across the networks that are primarily focused on breadth and mm-hmm. reach and those that are focused on depth and engagement. And I think you have sort of Instagram at the top, amazing way to to reach people and the users will put their very best photo They'll, and, mm-hmm. and and will try hard then to get the best reach for them. On Facebook, they'll put the highlight reel from which they pick that best photo, and it probably goes out to fewer people, but more people that you know. And Snapchat is sort of the behind-the-scenes reel that uh, goes on every day, and it's sort of a messaging-based focus, and maybe you have 100 people with you, get your Snap stories, whereas you have 500 on Facebook and, and 1,000 on Instagram. So I think that's, that, that's a very different use case that's evolved naturally from the way the products were architected. I think... Our theory is the same is going to happen in the kind of content that we talk about day to day, whether it's news, sports, or entertainment. Today we have Twitter, which is incredible at the reach, one to many celebrities hit, hitting um, sure. all the megaphones, and there's no better for breaking news. 
but there is missing a, uh, a place to have a more engaging messaging kind of conversation with your people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was, that's the, the idea behind rafter. Rafts are groups of people who are like-minded mm-hmm. that you can graft your raft onto other rafts and, and have conversations that are more intimate, more like in, in the, by analogy in Snapchat. So it's topically based. Uh, yeah, what, what, in the, that's a, an architecture uh, change that we made is rather than follow people mm-hmm. at the primary level, you're following specific stories. We define a story as a sports team or a television show. So you could mm-hmm. follow the Game of Thrones, you could follow the Golden State Warriors, or you could follow an ongoing news series. And, 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 and that would be sort of like, like the election, something mm-hmm. that is, could be delivered in serial form as opposed to a breaking news event, which always is going to be better covered by a Twitter or a CNN. Well, how is that different than what uh, Twitter has been doing? Not successfully with moments. like the- Yeah, I think that they also acknowledged that uh, right. the idea of following people wasn't 100% Well, they understand the hellscape that it's become for most people I, at this I, point. I think that's part of it. I also think yeah. it's too atomic, right? Mm-hmm. I, if I, if I want to follow the presidential election, should I have to curate a list of 50 or 75 people who are really good at that? Mm-hmm. Actually, I'd just rather follow in their case, they called it moment. Uh, you know, for other people, it's hashtags. For 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 us, it's stories around uh, that gather the people around it. Mm-hmm. The metaphor I'd use is, you know, using rafter is like going to a really great dinner party where there's little rooms talking about different topics, mm-hmm. and you can move from room to room. But you know that if you go to the presidential or into the White House discussion room, yeah. there's going to be some people who take this seriously and who want to hear from others. Mm-hmm. It's not a shouting fest. It's not megaphones. It is a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think the conversational tone to this product is what got me so excited about it. But how do you prevent it from becoming Reddit, which is not, com- I mean, it is some, some of Reddit is conversational, but it degen- again, the comments to generate. How it, do can, you- it can go that way, but just because people have the freedom to be, uh, you know, they have the right to speak out however they want, doesn't mean that the community of people in that room or that topic have mm-hmm. to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, by the way, I think Reddit is making really good improvements yes, here. Uh, moderators getting more tools and more influence, the community saying, look, this is a room, this is a subreddit, or this is, in our case, this will be a story mm-hmm. for people who are serious, not for bomb throwers. The other thing we've got is real name, real identity, right? So this is not a hide behind a, a handle and Throw, like Ning Pan turds. 4 or something. Whatever, yeah. So I think it can be done. And look, we can't give up. Right. Like this is what made our country and our industry great mm-hmm. is the ability to use technology to trade ideas in a quality manner. And so this is part of that. So talk about that idea of giving up because I think, again, a lot of these efforts who have not worked out for whatever whatever way they're architected it doesn't <laughs> seem to attract users. They like the melee of Facebook or Twitter <laughs> or something like that. I'm not sure if they like it or they're, they're just uh, – Someone I was having breakfast this morning was talking about how Facebook and Twitter are just driving them crazy, you know what I mean, in terms of not being able to understand anything, but then being pummeled almost daily, and nothing makes any sense. And although I didn't see them think, oh, I want an answer to that, you know, it, it's an interesting question now, because you feel that you do get pummeled, you do get like, it doesn't doesn't have any cogency or strength to it. Yeah, and I think just to build on what Michael said, that the, the two primary ways we're trying to guard against that, even mm-hmm. though it is the internet and mm-hmm. we will experience some of that mm-hmm. and then we'll have to figure out how to moderate it. But the first is that uh, our, our login process is by phone number, not by email. Mm-hmm. And that right away, since most people have one phone, uh, will prevent 30 pseudonym email accounts of trolls. And mm-hmm. so that may cause us to gain traction a little bit slower because we're, gonna, we're doing it by phone number, but we it also ensures that the 
or helps prevent some of the problems that others have had. The second thing is that we have uh, we we, uh, we have curators that create a weekly episode, mm-hmm. and they curate the best content for the week. They hypertext link that in. We know it's not fake news, um, and they also are the ones moderate. They, they put out the questions mm-hmm. uh, and and try to create a a dialogue around things that are interesting. So, we've tried to put in a couple safeguards in the product, and I think we, it's kind of resonated. You know, it's early days, so we'll see what happens. And we're still we have some big product introductions in the next couple months. But when you think about the real world of content and conversations, they they're totally inextricably linked. We love to talk about. It's a social experience to share content together, whether it's the news or a show you watched last night at the water cooler at work. And usually things people there do... There is no water cooler at work anymore. <laughs> the, the provo- the, it's a well-stocked canteen. <laughs> with, uh, lots shake of, uh, Yeah, exactly. Lots of uh, artisan handcrafted yeah. beverages. <laughs> the proverbial one. Yeah. Um, but it is something people like to do. And right. most things that happen online are things people like to do in real life. And if you think about... As you guys are talking about the conversation, threaded conversations, you either have sort of the New York Times with a few comments Mm -hmm. or you have a social network with a barrage of unrelated content. Mm -hmm. And and the idea of coming up with a a way to have a conversation around content, I think, is a big idea. Now, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a fair point that it hasn't really been – we haven't landed on the right thing. When we get back, we're going to talk about why that hasn't happened because it's fascinating that it hasn't. The only thing that seems to have worked are newspapers or this Scream Fest, which is really interesting. I do think there's been something that's emerged out of the last maybe six or 12 months of politics in the Mm -hmm. U.S., and that is that people in private – conversations, whether that's a group SMS mm-hmm. uh, thread or around uh, a Slack channel, linking an article mm-hmm. and then having three, four, ten people who care about that yeah. chime in on it. Slack is a really good example. And so if you add up all the private Slack channels that are mm-hmm. talking about the White House or yeah. the big game or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's a lot of people having yeah. high-quality conversations. Yeah. Well, it's, that's how the Internet and started, it? Would, it, it would be nice to, to bring that to everybody. All right. When we go back, we'll talk about the difficulty of doing that. We're here with Michael Deering and Sue Decker. Michael is a venture capitalist. Sue is a very well-known executive, and they're trying to make content sane again. I was in Silicon Valley very recently for a unique experience. I was one of the first to meet Curry, a personal robot who is full of personality and does a lot. I met Curry in an office in Silicon Valley where she was wandering around this small area doing all kinds of things. She's a pleasure to have around. She understands when you talk to her and then responds in her own language of beeps, which you'll understand as you get to know her. She moves around on her own. And she'll learn the layout of your home, knows to avoid obstacles like stairs and furniture. She also makes a great companion. Have her wake you up in the morning or greet you when you get home. She'll even follow you around playing this podcast, which I think is the best use of any robot. And when you're not home, Curry can be your eyes and ears, your personal stalker of your kids and your pets. She can also investigate loud noises and can show you what's happening right from your phone. So really, you're the stalker, not the robot. So check Curry out. She's available for pre-order now at heycurry.com. That's H-E-Y-K-U-R-I.com. Go to heycurry.com today. We're here with Michael Deering and Sue Decker. Sue is a well-known executive who ran Yahoo for many years, but that's like that's a big group of people, different people who used to run Yahoo. <laughs> it doesn't make me unique. <laughs> it doesn't make you unique. And Michael, who's a, a terrific venture capitalist, former executive at eBay, and we're talking about content and where it's going. And we, when we finished the last section, we were talking about how 
difficult it's been for companies to do that. So uh, first I want to talk about why you think that has failed, because these have not caught on. Literally, there's two paradigms, regular publishing, which everyone's used to, and I'm talking about a newspaper style where they present stories to you and then you read them in their collected way from, you know, New York Times to the Wall Street Journal to Recode. Um, And then you have this sort of explosion on Facebook and Twitter and other places. And all these attempts not to do that have not worked out. Can you talk a little bit of why that is or why you think that is? I'm not sure I'd accept the premise that they haven't worked out. Mm -hmm. I think it's harder to measure the billions of smaller scale conversations that are happening across multiple channels than it is to look at Facebook and say, holy smokes, you know, most of the world is going to use this on a daily basis. Which they are. So, okay, I'm totally, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't happen to use Facebook, but Mm -hmm. I'm celebrating their awesomeness and (laughs) the pet photography and the documenting your children's height and Uh uh, the fabulous vacation that you just went on. But there's a whole other dimension to human communication. And I don't think that for a channel to be valid, it has to have billions of daily actives. I, okay. I think for it to be a successful business, it needs to bring meaning to people's life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this product has a chance to do. Again, I'd go back and say, add up for me the number of private SMS uh, threads, the number of Slack channels, the number of threaded discussions happening online around specific articles and specific chunks of news. And you might consider Reddit to be part of that Mm -hmm. or not. You might consider uh, uh, Slack to be part of that or not. But I think it's a huge slice of daily activity. And what we're trying to do is bring some of those principles to a single application. So, So talk a little bit about what you had done at Yahoo and how this is different. Because Yahoo was essentially the same. It was a pretty top-down paradigm of news stories and then comments and involvement in them, correct? Or? Yeah, I think that um, it, Yahoo was fantastic early on hiring and attracting writers that you know were willing to go try a new platform with at, at a time that was a big leap for them. And they ended up creating a great franchise around finance, news, and sports. Um, that was curated in an effective way so you could find the so user could engage in those topics. Um, where I think that stopped is the world kept moving in terms of mobile and social, and Yahoo's innovation didn't for whatever reasons. I think where back to where Michael was, I think the use that we see out there is that people are creating iMessage strings with 10 people mm-hmm. to talk about the Giants and the Cubs game. And then my, when my friend lives in Chicago, she's adding two or three people to that iMessage, and we're having fun. But it, but it's it's that those two or three people have been vetted by her. So I just found some people that I didn't know before that have a, a similar interest. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do at scale. It's very hard to – iMessage works great for three or four people, but it doesn't work well to discover other people yeah. with similar similar ideas. And, and this is a way to create that kind of – messaging base. The, the whole world has moved to mobile and messaging, and I think that's part of why you know, Snapchat's so successful or Slack's successful. It's, it's the, the world is moving to more channels. And I think back to the idea of the evolution of everything, mm-hmm. part of why it, I think this is a really good time is because by virtue of the success of Twitter and Facebook, they become so crowded that mm-hmm. sometimes new things emerge that would start to answer that problem. I think early on, when you remember the early on Facebook conversations or even Twitter, it did feel more intimate. It mm-hmm. did feel less megaphone-like, and it did feel like most of the content you received was what you were interested in as opposed to something that was forwarded by a friend of a friend. 
because they are so effective at distribution, I think things do do evolve, and I think the time is right for this. I actually think that's why Slack have, uh, has emerged as a social network around your office or around topics. Nextdoor has emerged as a social network around your common interest in a, in a neighborhood. They typically start more general and then more specific ones mm-hmm. crop up that address a common interest once the general ones get so broad that it's hard to find what you're looking for. So I kind of I think it's I think the fact that they haven't emerged so far mm-hmm. is partly because both Twitter and Facebook were serving the need pretty well, right? And and they still or do. the message boards and stuff like that. So Michael, explain how it works. Explain how this this newest idea works. Okay, so the organizing principle is stories instead of people, and mm-hmm. so I can choose from a menu of uh, stories that might cover politics, sports, uh, news. You probably start with sports. Something TV. easy that it's like talkable, right? Yeah, well, not for me, unfortunately, because yeah, I was always picked last for everything yeah, yeah, I ever yeah. tried out for. And I'm the only lesbian <laughs> in America who hates sports, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, reality TV shows, any topic that mm-hmm. you think has persistence over time, mm-hmm. where the episodes and the content is going to evolve, the story is right. going to unfold, and you want to watch it and talk about it with other people. Sure. It's very, very similar to the Old group. message boards, yeah. Yeah, it's very similar to old message boards. It's very similar also to the feeling you get when you've had that uh, SMS through Read open with five or six friends while mm-hmm. you're watching The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, okay. I have to TMI. come clean okay. and say right. that I am, in fact, one of those people. All right, okay. Um, so what do you think of Corrine? <laughs> <laughs> They're all trouble, but that's why it's good. It makes okay. you feel better about yourself right. to watch those shows. All right. Do you watch the <laughs> show about The Bachelor show? No, there's that's t- too much. Is it too much? Yeah, the there's inside? a limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a limit. <laughs> no, but um, it's a it's a fictional one. You know, the, it's a, there's a fictional show about The Bachelor type show. Yeah, it's yeah. It's supposed to be awful, but anyway, it's too much. Yeah, okay, it's right. too much. So you follow a story. You you meet through your own network or extended networks of friends, mm-hmm. the other people who want to follow that story, and you develop a conversation that unfolds over the course of call it. 10 weeks, 10 months. I mean, I, I've met some people in the in the White House channel that uh, we've actually become a little bit friendly because mm-hmm. we've been following each other or, pardon me, following the story together for the better part of the election. So uh, imagine that those groups of people persisted, these rafts, mm-hmm. as they're called. By the way, the root of that is the, um, the, uh, the otter metaphor, this incredibly social, lovable group of people, mm-hmm. of <laughs> creatures mm-hmm. that build their uh, homes together, they sleep together, not in that way. Okay. Uh, Sue, help me out. I'm going down. That. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a group for that. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you have these conversations, they unfold over time, and you develop a rapport and a set of standards in those story groups, in those mm-hmm. rafts. And so, and then you join them, and then they open and close, like Game of Thrones ends, and then that's yeah. enough of the discussion. Game of Thrones is out, is not on TV right now, but there's still people talking about Game of Thrones right. and it's sharing. It's most talked about shows out there so globally. There would, so things that would work would be TV shows, sports teams, politics, presumed, yeah. things that people talk about. That's right. That's right. We, we think it's anything that they, they talk about that's – our definition is serialized. So right. you have – entertainment's already delivered in seasons and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know weekly episodes or series. Uh, sports kind of fits that metaphor too. Yeah, games. Because you, have, you, have, you have weekly – you have seasons and then you have games and – each week, and uh, and for news, we are serializing that so mm-hmm. that there's, a, for example, in the politics, the White House story, the first season had seventy episodes, and it was the battle for the White House. Mm-hmm. We just started the second season, and it's called uh, President Trump, and yeah. that, so it's we've just had two episodes. So that's going to keep going over time. So episodes, so and they're run by individual people who are the moderators. We have the, the, someone writes an episode every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our people. 
uh, trying to link the best comment and pose a couple questions at the end for people to talk about. And then that's where, and then that's where it goes. And then links and stories start to fall into that place. Yes. I see. And then, but is that scalable to have individual people? So you really believe in editorial, right? Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And the point is that the editorial, uh, the, the, the responsibility of the moderators and the, and the uh, subscribers is mutually supportive, right? Mm-hmm. So if the moderator is giving me good uh, episode write-ups and giving me good links and jumping off points out of the conversation, I can have a, per- a role in that too by posting, hey, I found this link, let's talk about this, and I can steer the conversation in that way. In that way. Yeah. So does that scale with a lot of people? You have to hire a lot of editorial staffers, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would th- I would put it this way, uh, and, and I think it's a really core and important question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is our hypothesis. We'll see if this is right. But um, in traditional social media, you have millions of people talking about millions of other people, hundreds right. of millions. The stories we all follow together, the kinds that we're uh, things that we're offering, there may be a few thousand in the world. These are stories that millions of people are following. We have fifty of them on our site just to start. And 30 million people follow those stories if you look at on Twitter or mm-hmm. Facebook. And mostly they're fan pages of you sure. know, Bravo, it's more solicitation and stuff. So when you have a, that kind of one-to-many, how many, how many sports teams are there? There's 132 of the four big professional sports. Mm-hmm. Add FIFA, that's another 200. Add all the women's sports, maybe you have five or 600 mm-hmm. uh, stories. And the same is true of entertainment. There's 500 scripted and reality TV shows. And mm-hmm. for the way we define use, news similarly. So you could cover that with a team of 100 editors. And you could cover it really well. It's, and, it, and you would keep the conversations more curated and safe, which is what we think the market need is because of the evolution of what's happened in these other right. forms. And so, you know, if you're, there, many of them have, have evolved in really great ways. But all the negative things of the Internet have come around. We think this is an opportunity to curate better. And how do you then get people to use them, since they're sort of on the crack cocaine of uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and stuff like that? I mean, I'm... I'd, Besides talking to me. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think it's not an or, it's an and. I mean, this is this is about... I think one of the, the things that's driving frustration with Twitter, mm-hmm. with Facebook, et cetera, is the uh, inability to have that conversation. And so if we can find that product sweet spot where they're going to reallocate some of their time right now, which is being spent being fr- feeling frustrated, mm-hmm. allocate that f- frustration time over to Rafter, I think they're going to have a much, much better experience with a portion of their time. And the other thing I would just add to that is, although we do a lot of our internal, uh, we hire curators who create our episodes, there are some great bloggers out there that have tens of thousands of Right, followers. you've added some bloggers. So, yeah, so, so, so Dave Pell is on our site and Lauren Zelaznik. And they former they, NBC executive. NBC executive. She has a, a women's uh, blog that mm-hmm. a lot of people read. So those, that's a story. I, I'm interested in what she curates. She puts out a weekly uh, blog, and then it curates the best links, much like our Jason Hershorn does, and others. You know, exactly. there's lots of people that have followings like that. So if you pick, if you pick a few of those kinds of stories to have on on Rafter, most of those people don't have a social or mobile experience. They don't have a way for their fans mm-hmm. to talk to each other about yeah, the issues. through Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. That's it, right. So you can't, it's hard for, for you to have a channel where mm-hmm. all of your, your tens of thousands of people get to talk about what you just published. So, and so they're tweeting about it. So we, right. we do have a way, we think that... Um, so you bring in popular people who collate and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so we, some of our curators are people we've hired and developed. Uh, as time goes on, if, as the company gets more successful, we'll be able to hire people with more following who will be writing... And they can they can advertise it in their social channels. Okay. When we get back, we're going to talk about the problematic relationship Silicon Valley has had with content and where things are going in Silicon Valley.
We're here with Michael Deering and Sue Decker talking about their new company, Rafter. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the operating system for mobile marketing and analytics tools. Success as a content or commerce company these days requires you to have a great mobile experience, but the operational complexity is enormous. Legacy web solutions don't work for mobile, and native tools require lengthy integrations, which mean a lot of overhead, risk, and complexity. That's why you need modern data infrastructure built for the mobile era, where APIs are becoming the primary storefront for brands. MParticle makes it simple to collect data once and integrate all of the tools required to run your mobile business successfully at scale. To learn more, visit mparticle.com decode. This podcast is also brought to you by GoCD, the on-premise open-source continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. GoCD's real power is the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow. So get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash recode for a free download. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. We're here with Sue Decker and Michael Deering. Sue's got to go in a minute for something, but I want to get your thoughts on why Silicon Valley has had such a problematic relationship with content. Uh, because it really has been an odd thing. They want to abrogate the responsibility to the content, yet they distribute the content and they impact the content and have killed many media companies. So what what is the problem of not taking responsibility? You know, I, I don't know that it was um, planned that way. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, when some of these major social networks emerged, they probably didn't expect to be in a position of such mm-hmm. um, power as the distribution for content. Uh, so I think as time's gone on and it's become more clear that uh, where the pipes end and where the content begins is a, is a blurrier line now because they're actually doing things on their distribution networks to deliver, you know, that they actually are, put them squarely in the content business. I think you'll see more and more sympathetic leadership toward trying to understand the rights of content owners and mm-hmm. and trying to, to take leadership over over the content What's world. What's the problem of taking leadership, though? Because they don't want the responsibility, because it comes with screaming, and it comes with opinions, and it comes with making decisions. I think it does, but it also comes, it's a, it's a world they didn't start, I mean, it's not, I'm not sure that a lot of these companies started with that expertise, or even that feeling that that would be their identity. And mm-hmm. so they have to hire people, they have to think about the issues. And there are a lot of complex issues that yeah. are related to that. But I don't, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not as, um, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word, but I, I think things will evolve, and I think you will see the worlds of technology and content come much more It's been more a problematic relationship. I mean, all the way from the beginnings of Yahoo, and at one point you guys were going to buy YouTube. Like, remember the fights over that? It just seems like it's not, never been resolved easily. Yeah, but but look how far uh, the world has come in terms of the uh, experience now and things like a lot of these content experiences, YouTube, for example. Uh, look at what's happened in Apple Music and, you know, what seemed like two separate worlds. Somehow it's gotten figured out. And, of course, when there's one economic pie there and an industry goes through an evolution, how that pie gets split changes somewhat, and there's mm-hmm. going to be some that feel like they got less and others that get more. So I, I think that's sort of a natural evolution of an industry. But I, I think the worlds do come together, and they have to come together and, and figure out ways to embrace each other. 
All right, Sue has to go, but I'm going to bother Michael about where things are going in Silicon Valley because I know he's going to say some horrible things about the landscape. No? Yes? Sure. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. I think I'm not going to leave now because I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Kara. All right, Michael, let's talk real talk here. All right. So, um, so here we go. You know, here you are investing in content and stuff yep. like that. What do you think the problems between content and Silicon Valley? Because they seem to be growing, even though I know Sue was saying there's a there's an element of it's not. But it, just this whole fake news thing, this idea of who's responsible, the, yeah. the decimation of these regular media companies that actually provide real content. Yeah, I think the, the root of the problem is the somewhat libertarian love for free speech mm -hmm. among the tech community combined with the premise that people are basically good. Mm -hmm. If you look back, even all the way back to the, to the days of eBay and Yahoo, uh, when they were sort of owning the web, uh, the premise was these products are built for people who basically don't intend harm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so products that uh, assume that about people, they did not come with tremendous amounts of safety infrastructure. Mm -hmm. eBay, of course, decided to build trust and safety infrastructure over time. I think many of the high-flying companies of today are struggling with the same challenge. But it's that tension between the, the love for right to free speech, uh, the premise that people are basically good that gets us into some amount of trouble. Right Now, me personally, I lean towards the libertarian end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. and so I don't expect Facebook to police this stuff. Well, who uh, does then? Well, I think actually the market can. How? And I it hasn't worked. That's I think that's a you know the thing is they, they suck all the money out of the system and then they say nobody's responsible. That may well be true in that mm -hmm. company's case, but there's nothing technically preventing them from offering people tools to uh, filter and downvote and eliminate Absolutely. fake news from the feed. Absolutely. So I think you have a handful of choices in these tech companies, right? You you, you don't command and control the users mm -hmm. uh, in the way that Procter & Gamble did in the, you know, in the early part, in the last industrial revolution, the big companies had command and control over the markets. These markets are messy. They are full of crazy people who like to do their own thing and they don't want to hear about it. Uh, rules from a particular company that they that they uh, patronize, but the the companies can they they have three tools in their toolkit. They have a pen, a price tag, and a flashlight. Okay. They can write a rule and command and control with using mm -hmm. the pen to write legislation about what's okay and what's not on their site. They can set a price tag for if you want to exhibit these types of behaviors, here's the price you have to pay in dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can shine a flashlight on it and say, hey, we're not here to judge, mm -hmm. but we want you to know where these people are coming from. Right. What's the What country of origin did this news item originate right. in? Uh, who are the credentials of the people who supplied it? That flashlight is the most powerful tool these companies have. Why not and just wish, throw them off? Well, I wish they would deploy the flashlight and yeah. let people decide on their own. I'd rather the only, have the fake news providers fail in the open market of sure. of, of debate and discussion. But people make choices every single day. I mean, what I'm interested in is, you know, the Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat thing. Snapchat is pr providing a relatively good environment, and Facebook's environment's becoming more and more trashy. Well, that's because Facebook is addicted to user growth and advertising mm -hmm. revenue growth. Right. And I don't judge them for that, but that's the fact. Yeah. I mean, so you they just have, have to, to do listen. engagement, 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 no matter what. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, so, and add dollars, so add dollars, here add you dollars. are trying to change that content experience, that it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a quality content i've been hearing this a lot from people that we've got to create a quality content experience because now it's just you know it's again a screenscape essentially the good news is kara we don't have to create the quality conversation we have to give it an outlet and right now there's not very many places for them to have that discussion right some of the smaller subreddits mm -hmm. around very specific Absolutely. narrow topics 
home frickin' runs in terms of the quality of the conversation. Right. But uh, that product and that experience is, for whatever reason, not the dominant experience on that platform. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that Rafter and Slack channels among like-minded people who like to debate and discuss, and all the SMS group chats I've got going between my friends and my mm-hmm. and their friends. That's the model that we should be trying to scale. And to finish up, where do you, how do you think this is going to be delivered? Because a lot of it is typing, like typing words. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where yeah. does it go? Is it voice? Is it video? Is it you know you're in a VR space with people? I think you have to look to what's happened in uh, in in chat and SMS and messaging. You know, you've got uh, overlays, uh, filters, you've got audio, video, static images, uh, captioning, all that stuff is that those are the native behaviors of people using these mobile devices to share mm-hmm. ideas with their friends and with some, in some cases, strangers. Those uh, are emerging grassroots bottoms up. And I think that's a good sign that we should expect a lot more of those. And how do you imagine these? Do you imagine a virtual reality conversation, a rafter or whatever, or Slack or whatever? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not qualified. You don't to have guess. enough money for that. I'm not qualified to guess, but uh, I would say that the the conversation. Look, we don't have to do anything to the human operating system to make them crave quality conversations with their peers. Point. We don't have to do anything. It's yeah. been there for years. We have to find ways to unlock it in software and to amplify it with software. And that challenge is very solvable. And two last questions. One, do you think Silicon Valley cares about content? Uh, to the extent that it sells advertising, yes. <laughs> so they're not committed. They're... Now, when you say Silicon Valley, there's no I Henry assume, Luce here. I assume, yeah, you know what I mean. I assume you mean the large companies yeah. with the huge yeah. audience. Yeah individual human beings in Silicon Valley care about getting information just mm-hmm. as much as humans all There's over not the many Earth Jeff do. Bezos is buying the Washington Post's the kind of thing. No, and it's I I, I love that he did that and mm-hmm. I'm a subscriber for for all the reasons that you'd imagine uh, to support that business model financially but but we don't need to rely solely upon the media brands and platforms of the last 100 years to solve this problem. We can yeah. do both. It's not yeah. or, it's and. All right. And very last question. How do you look at the investing landscape right now? Here you are. You put a couple million dollars into this company. Way what? too much money. Uh, way too much money available. The mm-hmm. the pile of wealth. So like Earth has been industrialized for what, 250 years. Mm-hmm. The pile of wealth that we've compounded since that industrialization started is staggering. And those people sitting on those big piles of money, and by people, I should say, universities, endowments, pension funds, mm-hmm. uh, all of the, the institutional limited partners, they're looking at returns from the public debt and equity markets that are just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so if they're going to make their numbers work, they've got to pour money into private. And so we've got an overabundance of supply of capital. We've got uh, a, a healthy flow of new ideas. What we're really starving for in Silicon Valley is great general management, mm-hmm. great ability to take the spark of an idea and turn it into a real that functioning a really business. Point. And so that's what drew me to Sue. Mm-hmm. I've known Sue a long, long time since back in the eBay and Yahoo mm-hmm. days. And what I love about uh, companies like hers is she and her colleagues are real executives with real general management right. chops. There are a lot of idiots, Michael. <laughs> I don't think of them as idiots so much as oh, just... Maybe a I'm little. Teasing you. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not teasing it anymore. It's, you're making me sweat again. <laughs> All right, we've been here with Michael Deering and Sue Decker talking about where content is going in Silicon Valley. They've got a new company called Rafter, which is trying to make sense of the hellscape that content has become on the internet. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. 
If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Time Well Spent founder Tristan Harris, Cowboy Ventures founder Aileen Lee, and Benchmark partner Bill Gurley, just to name a few. All of those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like The Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember, subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. If you're listening to this episode the week it comes out, then you should look for a bonus episode on Wednesday. Tune in then. For companies to succeed today, they need builders, and builders need tools that allow them to innovate. The problem is most cloud vendors don't offer the range of tools builders are looking for. Amazon Web Services is a leading cloud service provider giving builders the reliability and security they need. AWS pioneered cloud computing over 10 years ago to help any business, from the smallest startups to the biggest global enterprises, create their own applications and manage their workloads. By listening to what customers want, AWS is adding more features and services than any other cloud provider while consistently reducing prices. So if you'd rather focus on creating a business instead of an infrastructure, check out podcast.aws. Learn how AWS can help you build a better future today and let builders build.